Good morning, and welcome to Shelbyville Community Church online. And those of you who are with us, we're going to stand up and get started.
Good, good father, right? Y'all go ahead and take a seat. Hey, thank you, team, so much. Love that. Love that song so much. Thank you. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Awesome. Good to hear. Hey, so, uh, you know, on this all-in journey that we've been on together, we've said every single week, right, hey, we want to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. In other words, we want to be the kind of church that doesn't just tell our community that Jesus loves them, we want to show our community that Jesus loves them, right? We don't just want to be the mouth of Jesus, we want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community as well. And so that's what our all-in journey's been all about, right? Our, this discipleship journey that we've been on together. And what I've said every single week is that at the heart of the call to be a disciple of Jesus is uh, the call to offer up the very best of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And so uh, some of us have begun to do that. And so, so far for our all-in journey, and by the way, this is really cool. I'm super excited about this. We've had 73 families go all-in and commit uh, over $1,407,000 to our all-in journey. Just 73 families. Isn't that awesome? I love that think that is fantastic. It's an awesome start. And so we're going to celebrate that today. And nothing says celebration quite like a t-shirt cannon. Wouldn't you agree? You haven't been to church if you don't have a t-shirt cannon. So I've got a couple of staff guys here that are going to, that have just been itching to come out and use these. So if you have not gotten an all-in t-shirt and you're brave enough and you just want to hold up your hand, hey, we'll shoot one to you, not at you. We'll shoot one to you, not at you, okay? So now, I will say this. It was a little frightening in the first service because these guys had these things fully jacked and they were bouncing off the back wall. I'm not kidding you. So um, you may not want to raise your hand too high too quickly. Did you guys dial down for this service? I mean, kind of. So, so we got... He's got a ramrod. <laughs> These things have been called everything. Bazookas, cannons, muskets. Anyways, hey, can we first give props to Nolan Wethington for making these? 
few material gifts will make it to the kingdom of God, and this is one of them. So here's, here's and I love it. One of Nolan's most famous jo- uh, lines around the office is, what even is my job? <laughs> and this is a good example of that. Okay, so first service, I showed Mike how to shoot these, and we warmed up on, fir- oh wait, we almost forgot something. We need to make sure we're giving them COVID-free t-shirts. Oh, you did? Okay. Hold on, let me get the... Okay, we're good. So, who would like a t-shirt? Dude, can we get some music going in the house, too? We got to make... Oh, I see two people with grins. Y'all might want to duck. Oh. That one wasn't wound tight Sounds enough. Like a I'm going to crank elephant. it more. Hold on a second. I love watching you stuff that, Mike. (laughs) Off the back wall. Whoa, easy. Don't don't point that at me. Can can you not hear me? Oh. I promise you we know how to use these. I love the hands that are still up. There are some brave folks out yeah. there. I think I'm All right. juice. Wait, what? Mike, give me that one. Are you out of juice? I think we might witness the first death of a pastor pretty soon on our stage. This thing is not working right. Anyways, we're going to get off now. Celebration was had. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Brandon, I I think it's the flux capacitor. That's what I think the problem is. Okay, so hey, so we're going to go from super fun to super serious. So I'm going to ask Jane Norton to come up, and I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, please. Okay, so in the book of Isaiah... The scripture says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then in the book of John, we read, He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the reading of God's word for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jane. Hey, so we're starting a brand new series today, a series we're calling Wonder. And we just want you to wonder at the majesty of our Savior. We're going to actually look at words that were written, a prophecy about our Jesus that was about, written about 700 years before uh, he was actually born. And here's how I want us to begin to think about this. So there's a husband and wife, and they're expecting. So they go out and they buy a book like The Perfect Baby Name. So they're in bed and they're thumbing through it, trying to pick a name that fits, right? If it's a girl, what are the options? You know, if it's a boy, you know, what should we call him? You know, now our middle son is named Connor Michael. I'm not making this up. Um, a few days after he was born, uh, my wife's grandmother called us. This would have been his great-grandmother. And she said, hey, can you change a birth certificate? And we said, well, why would we want to change a birth certificate? She said, well, I'm hoping you can come up with a new name for your son because I don't like the name that you picked. Now, this didn't make us angry or mad. In fact, we kind of thought this was really funny because this is kind of classic mammal, right? And so my wife says to her, well, you know, mammal, we didn't really name him for you, uh, but, but let me tell you why, why we named him the way that we did. And so she explained to her grandmother that um, Connie was my grandfather's name, and we didn't want to name him Connie, but we wanted to kind of give a nod to my grandfather, so we came up with Connor, and then the Michael was, you know, the archangel. We liked that, that name. And so after we kind of explained that to her grandmother, she was, you know, kind of okay with that name after that. But have you ever noticed, too, that when you're going to name one of your children how difficult it is? Because one or both of you know someone who ruined that name for you, right? So your husband might say, hey, well, what about like Brandon? Oh, no, I knew a brat named Brandon, right? No way can we do that. Or, hey, what about Craig? No, you know, nobody likes that either. Because uh, you know somebody who kind of ruined that name for you, right? So in Isaiah 9, there's this 
this prophecy and it says, hey, unto us a child is born. A son is going to be given. It's a boy. It's a boy. Like, what do we call him? Well, here's what he said. Uh, His name's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And you have to admit when you look at that name, it's a pretty complicated name right? I mean, there's a lot there. That's a mouthful. So what's going on with that? And here's what's going on with that and why this is so vitally important. In this culture, name is essence. In other words, 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah gives this prophecy. And he says, look, this son is going to come and he's going to be He's going to be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, because in his essence, he will be all of those things, right? And then he goes on to say this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forward. And so each week in this series, we're going to look at one of those names that Jesus is going to be called, and we're going to unpack that together and just think it through. And so today, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean that the Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor? That He would come as a Wonderful Counselor. Now, Often, when we open our Bibles, we ask a good question. And the question is, well, what does it mean for me? And that is a great question, but there's another great question that we should ask before we ask that one. And that question is this. Not what does it mean for me, but what did it mean to them? In other words, what did these words mean in Isaiah's day? And if we understand that better, then we're going to understand better what it means for me, what it does mean for us. So we're going to try to move back into their lives, into their world, into their existence, and we're going to ask this first question. What, you know, why did the people of Isaiah's day need to hear that Jesus would be born a wonderful counselor? Well, um, I mean, why would that matter? Uh, So what we're going to do is I want you to look with me in Isaiah 8, the chapter before this, and we're going to look at why, where were they receiving their counsel? Where were they getting their counsel from? So look at Isaiah 8, verse 19. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? I mean, why consult the dead on behalf of, of the living. So um, here we see that where they were going for spiritual counsel is they were going to the occult. Uh, I mean, and we should be shocked about this. We're probably not, but we should utterly be appalled that God's people, the people of Torah, that they were actually going to the occult for advice. Um, So they're being challenged about consulting spiritists 
and mediums, right? Now, here's why this matters so much. Let's say that you came to SCC and you said to me, um, you, maybe you're in a situation and you, you go to an elder or your small group leader and you say, hey, I'm just really trying to discern the heart of God on a spiritual matter in my life. You'd be absolutely appalled, right, if that small group leader looked at you and said, well, do you have a Ouija board? Because when I'm at a crossroads, you know, we, we pull out our, my, the Ouija board and we use that to discern what our next steps should be. Or let's say that you came to me as the pastor, right, and you said, hey, how do the elders at SCC discern what God wants for the church? How do they, what process do they use? How do they go through that? And let's say I said to you, oh, well, the first thing we do is we, we hand out out the tarot cards right and then we all gather around a crystal ball and we peer into the crystal ball and we ask God to speak to us through the crystal ball I mean you'd be shocked you would be appalled and you should be um, you absolutely should be but this is exactly what was going on in Isaiah's day. They weren't consulting God or Torah or the Old Testament. They were going and seeking out answers through the occult, right? And it gets worse than this because in Isaiah's day there was a king and his name was Ahaz and the reason that um, the, God's people were going after the occult is because Ahaz himself was infatuated by the occult. And so they were really just following their leader. You know, they were following his terrible example of leadership. Um, and, so, uh, and, and worse than that, Ahaz is a pragmatist. In other words, he's going to do what he thinks is best for him and the country. And so in spite of what God tells Ahaz to do, Ahaz decides to make an alliance with a country that he thinks will be in the best interest of Israel. And that goes very, very bad. That's going to lead into a season in Israel's history uh, called the Babylonian captivity. And basically what's going to happen is the Babylonian army is going to march down from the north. They're going to steamroll through Israel. They're going to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple there. And all the survivors are going to be deported 500 miles away to the country of Babylon. That is about to happen, and that is exactly what Isaiah is prophesying here. In fact, Isaiah 8, 21 and 22 gives us an idea of what's going to happen um, in this captivity. It says in verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking up will curse their king and their God. To which I say, hey, by all means curse the king. This king is a terrible leader. But would you really curse God? I mean, look, you didn't, God didn't walk away from you. You walked away from him. So, uh, you know, we need to kind of see that for what it is, right? And then uh, you get this theme. There's this concept of light and darkness 
that is so important in this prophecy. And it, it, here's the way this gets uh, kind of laid out, this concept of light. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Darkness and death, death and darkness. Dude, thanks for the Christmas message, right? I mean, that's pretty cheerful, isn't it? But that's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, the mood shifts dramatically. In verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen this great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, all of a sudden the mood is entirely different. And then he goes on to speak, hey, unto us is going to be born a Savior. And one of his names is going to be Wonderful Counselor. Because God's light is going to push out the darkness of Ahaz. A season of light will roll back this season of darkness. In other words, what, what this prophecy is saying is, look, darkness does not get the final word in, in this story or even in your story or in my story, right? And I think about that verse. I think about Isaiah chapter 8. I think about that verse for us. I think about it for you. I mean, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those walking through the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And I just wonder today if there are some of you sitting where you are, and that is the verse that you needed to hear. Because some of us are going to be remembering 2020 as a pretty dark year, right? I mean, we're going to remember, be remembering 2020 as the year the pandemic took someone in your family or robbed you of a major milestone, maybe a wedding or a graduation. Or maybe 2020 for you is the year the adoption fell through, right? Some of you will look back and you'll remember this season as the season when that long prayed for baby that you'd hoped for and that you deeply wanted, you know, was born in a miscarriage, you know, I think of people who are job hunting again, right? So their company goes out of business, then they find another job, and then because of the pandemic, that new country, company goes out of business, right? I mean, there's just this darkness that's kind of crept in this year. I mean, for some of us, maybe it's the first year of joint custody, right? I mean, you didn't have an illusion of some, you know, Norman Rockwell, you know, or Hallmark Christmas, but man, you didn't think of a Christmas where Christmas Eve is going to be spent at her, her place and Christmas Day is going to be spent in your apartment. You didn't see that coming, you know. And so I would say to any of you, if you're traveling through a really dark season right now, I have something I need to say to you. I mean, just as a pastor, May the light of God's grace change the path of darkness that you've been walking on. I mean, I would want that for you. May God bring you unexpected joy. May a light dawn in your life that you never saw coming, even in the middle of the mess. May you emerge from this dark tunnel through which you're traveling into a season of light and grace and mercy. 
Um, one of the things that we learn from this prophecy is that darkness does not get the last word in your story or mine. Because unto us a light has dawned, a son has been given, and his name is Jesus. Right? This is a reminder, friends, that even though there's been some darkness in your story in 2020, that that darkness does not get the final word. That a light is dawning and that God is telling a better story with your life than just the story that he's telling in 2020. I mean, every story has to have some difficulty and some darkness in it, right? Some chapters are difficult to read, but darkness will not and does not get the final word in our story because of our Savior. And that's why this passage is here in Isaiah 9. I mean, these people are going to be traveling through a mess, an incredibly dark time. And, uh, and so Isaiah is reminding them, look, it won't always be this difficult. It won't always be this, this hard. And darkness is not going to get the final word in this story. And so the people wait. Seasons come and go. Years pass by. Decades come and go. Empires rise and fall. We're talking 700 years. First there's the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks with Alexander the Great, and now the Romans are controlling the Mediterranean world. And a young woman by the name of Mary uh, gives birth to her son, her firstborn, right? And she lays him in a manger because there's no room for them at the inn where they've traveled. And so God comes to the very planet that he himself created. And he comes to that planet through a peasant family, through a low-income family. And he's placed in a food trough. And when you look in that food trough, what do you see there? Who do you see? What's his name? Well, his name is Jesus, but... His name is also Wonderful Counselor. Because he won't stay a baby. He won't stay in that food trough. He matures. He grows. He becomes a rabbi. And as a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, he begins to teach. And he teaches with an authority that no Jewish rabbi had ever uh, taught with. And sometimes we'll look at the teaching of Jesus, even the most challenging aspects of his teaching, but what if those aspects, what if those challenges are meant to be understood as wonderful counsel? Let me give you some examples. So in Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus about forgiveness. And he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Peter thinks he's being gracious, so he goes over the top. He says, if, should I forgive a brother seven times if he, does, if he sins against me? And Jesus says, no, no, no. You should forgive 70 times seven. This is a, kind of a Jewish way of saying, look, you should forgive as many times as it takes. You should forgive again and again and again and again. You should forgive to infinity. 
right? That's, that's how, and when you, when you hear, I mean, does that sound strange to anybody other than me? I mean, forgive somebody over and over and over again? I mean, dude, in our world, that's just not how it's done. I mean, in our world, right, you bless the people that bless you, you despise the people who despise you, and you hate the people who hurt you. That is the way our world works. So even as you hear those words, can you feel the darkness starting to roll in? Let me ask you a question. Who hurt you? Was it a parent? Was it a business partner? Was it a pastor? Was it a friend, a fiance, a father, your boss, a brother, or a sister, a close friend? Who's hurt you? And now let me ask you another question. What are you going to do with that? What if Jesus' command to forgive again and again and again and again is meant to be understood as wonderful counsel? What if the God who created you and knows you and loves you wants more for you and me than to just grow up and be a bitter, resentful, angry old man or old woman? But that's what resentment always... That's the only destination there is, friends, on the path of resentment. See? Because here's why this second question is so important. What are you going to do with that darkness that wants to roll in? Because here's the thing about darkness. And tune in because everyone needs to hear this. Here's the, the thing about darkness. See, first, darkness happens to you. And then the darkness starts to accumulate in you. And then darkness starts to go through you to other people. See, this light and darkness motif is so, so important. And I want to remind you that Jesus is talking to real people here. He's talking about real abandonment issues, real betrayal, real desertion, real feuds. And he's saying, you've got to, you've got to let go of that. And it doesn't matter how many times they hurt you. You've got to let go of that every single time. Because wounds left untended, they fester and they get infected every time. See, when Jesus tells us to forgive again and again and again, uh, he's on a rescue mission. And he's not just pulling us from the darkness. He's on a rescue mission where he's pulling the darkness out of us. Because every one of us in this room, left to ourselves, there's no way we're going to take Jesus that we're going to receive this as wonderful counsel. Because that is not the way our world works. But I've got a third question for you. What if this is wonderful counsel? What if this is counsel from Creator God who made you and who knows you and who loves you? And what if through this counsel, He intends not just to pull you from the darkness, but to pull the darkness out of you? And there's a big difference. In Matthew 6, there's another teaching that kind of bumps up against our modern conventionality, but what if this is wonderful counsel? 
Matthew 6.19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, what's he talking about? about here is he talking about compulsive spending you bet he is some of us spend compulsively right to make ourselves feel better is he talking about obsessive saving absolutely because why is it that you and I are often so tempted to look to money or our bank accounts for security why is that Is he talking about stingy giving? You bet he is. He says, and you better watch yourself because where your money trail goes, your heart will always follow that. In other words, if you want to begin to care about something, put your money in that thing. So, a woman is standing at the door of her walk-in closet. She's looking inside, and it's packed. It's full. Every hanger, every shelf. And she's standing there asking the eternal question, right? Hey, I liked it, uh, which is, why don't I have anything to wear? And this prompts another question, right? She's looking in, and she's thinking, everything in here, I liked it when it was in the store. I liked it enough, of, I liked it enough to buy it. But why do I buy everything I love and then hate everything I own? What does that say about me? Right? And then it prompts a deeper question. Why do I shop when I'm lonely or bored? And then if she's really insightful, this woman will ask the deepest question of all. And that question is this. What if the empty space I'm trying to fill isn't in my closet? What if it's not even about my closet? See? So when our Lord, our wonderful Counselor, tells us, look, where your treasure is, your heart is always connected to that. He's communicating to you and me that our hearts get connected to our stuff in ways that we will never fully appreciate or understand. So I just have to ask the question, what if the wonderful Counselor is attempting to pull from you and me the darkness of compulsive consumerism and accumulation. What if that's the darkness he's trying to pull from you and me? So, I've got a question. I've got lots of questions this morning, don't I? What if this is wonderful counsel? What if this is counsel from Creator God who knows me and loves me and wants what's best for me? I mean, listen to the words of our Lord. What if he's attempting to not just pull us from the darkness, but pull the darkness out of us? Here's another one. Mark 10, 45. Jesus, uh, the disciples are arguing about who's most important, who's most worthwhile, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three in the pecking order. And Jesus, in this context, you know what he says? He looks at them and he says, guys, I didn't come to be served. 
I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what I came to do. And that's the way I want you to live your lives as well. In other words, he's saying you, you gain the most life when you begin to give your life away for my sake. What if that is wonderful counsel? Really? I got a question, another one. Do self-centered, self-focused people ever annoy any of you? I'm going to ask it again because only two of you are listening. Do self-centered, self-focused people ever annoy you? Yeah, they annoy me. I don't know why they annoy you, but I'll tell you why they annoy me. They annoy me because they're thinking about themselves when they should be thinking about me. I'm going to say that again because only two of you are listening. See, uh, Self-centered people annoy me because they're thinking of themselves when I think that they should be thinking about me. See? See, I've got a confession. It's confession of a pastor time. It's been a while since I've given you a confession. Here's mine. Without the saving power of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, I am capable of thinking about myself pretty much all the time. And, and, and I'm okay with that. I mean, a lot of times, right? Um, and my Lord whispers in, right? Um, it's like Mission Brad. I feel pretty good about that mission. Mission Brad. And then the Lord whispers in my ear and he says, Mission Brad. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem with that mission is it's way, way too small. Like your life is, has to be so much higher and deeper and wider than just Mission Brad. There's a, I've got a bigger, more exciting, exhilarating mission out there in the world for you than just, you know, Mission Brad, right? You've got to have a mission beyond yourself, so Christ speaks to his disciples and he says, look, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give up my life and I'm calling you to do the same thing. What if that is wonderful counsel? What if we're meant to receive that as good news and what is most real and most true about every single one of us in the room? You know, what if this is counsel from the God who made us and knows us and loves us, and He's not just trying to pull us from the darkness, but He's trying to pull the darkness out of us. That's what light always does. Light always drives back darkness. That's just the nature of light, right? So here's a question, a couple more, and then we're going we're gonna to start to land the plane. One question is this, has there been some movement, have there, have there been some times where you've followed the advice of your wonderful counselor? Are there some times where Christ has asked you to move in a direction or to do something specific? Can you think of a time in 2020 where you did that? Where you listened to your wonderful counselor and you did the thing or you avoided the thing that he asked you to do? Did you do that? 
right? Because here's the cool thing. I would invite you, man, reflect on that. Think on that. Feel God's joy in that. Feel God's pleasure in that. See God smile at you for that. For, for, for following through and moving toward wonderful counsel. But there's a second question, and that is this. Where have you been saying no to your wonderful counselor? Where have you been keeping him at arm's length? Where have you refused to allow him to work and move? Where have you said no to him? And um, I would ask you, you know, um, would you not? I mean, just as a pastor, right, I would just say, look, every single time that a man or a woman or a teenager says yes to Jesus, that it's a good day. That's a win. And so I would just ask you, quit resisting. Quit saying no. Let the wonderful counselor in. Listen, 2021 is going to be filled with incredible opportunities if we are listening to the voice of our wonderful counselor and guess what you don't even it doesn't even cost you anything it's not like a regular counselor right um it doesn't cost us anything except except i have to become less so that he can become more so maybe in another sense it kind of costs me everything are you listening to the voice of your wonderful counselor? And where do you need to listen better? What is he asking you to do? And how are you going to see that through? How are you going to walk that out? It's so vital that we do this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you and for me. I'm going to pray that if you've been walking in a season of darkness, that God will shine, that his light will dawn in your life. And then I'm going to pray that God will speak to every single one of you about how you can better follow Him, better keep in step with Him, better listen to the advice. Advice is a terrible word. Better listen to the commands of your wonderful counselor. So let me pray for you and us, and then Pastor Brandon's going to come up and he's going to walk us through how we're going to respond together today. Let me pray for you first. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you're my wonderful counselor. I'm so grateful that not a single one of us has to walk through life by ourselves, out of our own wisdom, out of our own discernment. But God, you've given us the amazing opportunity every single day to receive wonderful counsel from you. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us out of your word. I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit that li lives and moves and breathes in those that have said yes to you. I pray that you would lead us and guide us and that we would be a people obsessed with, with living out your wonderful counsel. So God, I ask you to um, speak clearly and directly to each person in the room. And I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And that they would listen and respond and follow the advice of their wonderful counselor. And I ask it and pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Well, hey, when Brad asked me to um, do this uh, part, um, what I was asked to do is, uh, so you've heard Brad's heart behind All In, you've heard uh, Craig's heart behind All In, and I get to share mine. That's what I was asked to do. And so this might be a little messy, um, but I want you guys to know uh, where I'm at and how I would like to personally challenge you as a church, challenge us as a church to respond to this call to be All In. And so, so I view All In as a fork in the road for our church. Uh, One of the parts of God's calling on my life is to raise up and develop leaders and to send them out, you know, now and and in the future to to finish, to continue to, to expand God's kingdom until Jesus returns. I love doing that. That's how I get, you know, some of the most fired up is when I see a young leader go and lead well. And uh, as, as, as I've, I've just had to learn a ton and continue to learn a ton um, from other leaders way better than me and how to do that. And one of the things they taught me was a, a team is healthiest and at their best when they have a vision to pursue. And so, in other words, when a, when a group or a team of people go from point A to point B, and so as a, a good leader, they say, you know, God, where would you like us to go? What would you like us to do next? And that leader hears from the Lord, and then that leader steps out of their comfort zone and says, hey, we're going to, this is what God's calling us to do. Let's go. And they're on the front lines doing it. And so us as a church, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and God made it very clear what we're supposed to do next. And so we've been casting vision. Hey, this is where God's calling us to go. We're, we're rallying the troops, and now it's time to go. And what happens is, 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 is when a team gets to that vision, the vision is fulfilled. In other words, it's like the Israelites in the promised land. They finally arrive. It's amazing. I mean, you're, you know, it, the, the scripture talks about flowing milk and honey. In other words, they had every luxury and every pleasure in that land that you could have. It was so beautiful and wonderful. And if you stay there for too long, in our sinful flesh, something begins to happen. And that is that you lose sight of the fact that God is the one who got you there, and God is the one who should continue to lead you. And so we see it in Scripture. The Israelites got to the promised land, and then they were like, look at all that we've built. This is amazing. And they lost sight of God, and God allowed other nations to take them over because they were no longer faithful to Him. So let me tell the story of our church so far. 25 years ago, there was a group of people in Shelbyville that said a lot of churches have tried to build these beautiful gospel centers, and it's turned into, you know, a bunch of people just playing church. You know, we, we know about it as legalism. And there's other people that step foot in a church and are judged, and they want nothing to do with it. So this group in Shelbyville, one of their motives for getting together and planting a church was to actually reach the unchurched, reach the people that thought they were going to get struck with lightning or burned as soon as they walked into a church building. And so they got together, and they worshiped passionately, and they loved each other deeply, and they sacrificed so much to see the gospel spreading and people being saved in Shelbyville, even to where multiple people put their own homes on the line. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And so now... 
look where we're at. I'll continue the story first. So as the church grew, we needed a bigger facility, and so a bunch of people did that, and all of a sudden, in 1999, we're planning this massive building, and in 2000, we're building it, and it's built, and they open the doors, and the church grows even more, and God is doing this beautiful work in this church, and it grows so fast that four years later, we find ourselves doing another journey like we're in now to add on to a kid's own wing because we just ran out of space. And so now we're 15, 16 years down the line. And remember what happens, well, I didn't share with you yet, what happens to a team when they don't have a vision to follow or when they stay in the same place for too long. We're still doing stuff. We're still doing ministry. But God's calling us to the next big thing, the next promised land, if you will. What happens is if we stay here, we'll do what every sinful people will do. We'll start swirling and we'll start looking at, look at all that we've built. Look at this building. Look how grand it is. We are wonderful. And God becomes a part of what we do rather than the center of what we do and the one who is making these impossible goals and vision happen. Church, we're at a fork in the road. And we can choose to really be all in. Or we can choose to be the church that just kind of revels in what we have now and starts to swirl and starts to become inwardly focused and starts to make a big deal over little things and starts to play church rather than be the church. And the big thing that'll get us there in our flesh is our desire for comfort. That is one of the largest most deadly idols that we can possibly um, come up against. And I am preaching to the choir here. My wife and I are filling out our, our commitment card, and we're like, oh, man. And we had the same conversation between the two of us that I've had with so many people from this church when I've said, are you tithing faithfully? Because that is part of becoming a good leader, because Scripture is very clear. Where your money is at is where your heart is at, and vice versa. And so for our spiritual health, we have to be giving to the local church. The local church is the bride of Christ. We have to be investing in that in order for us to be spiritually healthy. God knows that. And so he's challenged us to do that in Scripture. And so Pam and I are having this conversation. Um, man, if we, like, this is kind of uncomfortable and if we keep going, it's kind of to the point where, like, if our car breaks down and it's really bad, we're down to one vehicle. We're kind of to the point where medical bills could stack up really quickly if another, you know, kid ended up in the ER, which we have three boys. It's bound to happen. Um, <laughs> like, we're, we're at that point where we're going to have to trust God here. And that's scary, and it's really uncomfortable okay, let's commit, you know, because we want to grow spiritually in this. Yes, our community is going to be beautifully touched, but here's the deal. We, we need $3 million, $3 million to see this vision fulfilled. That's just one aspect of it, which is the financial aspect, but that's what we're, we're asking for. And someone could walk up right now and write a check for $3 million, and we could celebrate and be like, we did it. No, we missed it. This journey is about our community knowing the gospel and being set free, but it's also about us growing as Christ followers and making sure that we are still, that we're continuing to grow as a church, not just reveling in what we've accomplished. 
You tracking with me so far? I don't want to sound accusational in any of this because this is my heart too. This is the same wrestling that I do every day. Um, And so my challenge to you is this. Surrender your comfort. If you want to be all in, and everybody in this room, everybody online, everybody is a family unit in this church. So nobody should hear this and let it gloss over. If you call SEC your home, I'm talking to you. We're talking to you. We need you to be all in and to sacrifice to see what God does here. And I believe that if we are successful in doing this, that people are going to walk in those doors because they were touched by us in our community. And because of how much we've been challenged spiritually, they're going to see a people who are pouring their hearts out in praise as they worship. And people coming through the doors are going to be like, I don't know what they're on, but I want some of it, right? I want people, when they come through these doors, to not understand why they're being so loved. They're loving me so much, there has to be a catch. Nobody loves like that. I want us to wake up as a church like we never have before. And in order to do that, in order to grow, in order to be more like Jesus, we have to surrender our comfort. So I'll put it very simple. We can choose to be comfortable as a family unit and as a church, and we can choose to play church. Or we can choose to grow. We can be comfortable or we can choose changed lives. We can choose comfort or we can choose community transformation. We can choose comfort, or we can choose people set free from addictions with the eternal security and hope of being a son or daughter of the Lord. It's a fork in the road, and we need every single family unit listening to be all in and to give something. And so even if your giving cannot go up, Fill out the commitment card anyways and trust that God is going to meet your needs. I have a couple more minutes, so I'm going to share this story. When my wife and I decided to pursue foster care, we had three kiddos in our home at the time, and she you've heard the story before. She came into a bunch of medical um, struggles, and we thought she had cancer for a little bit, and she had this big scary surgery, and... So all of a sudden, she's at home. She had to quit her job. We're down to one income. And the way that we were living at that time required two of us to be working full-time. We had these foster kids. And the state helps you some financially, but these foster kids needed a lot of stuff. And so we had just spent a lot of our stuff to get these kiddos, you know, winter boots, a winter coat that didn't have holes in it, different things like that. And we were blown away at the gifts from this church. I'll give just a couple examples, but there were many of them. So I remember uh, I posted on Facebook, hey, anyone have a jungle gym that they, you know, want to get rid of? I'll, you know, I can give you 50 bucks for it. I'll come tear it down, transport it myself. And someone from this church messaged me and said, hey, what kind of jungle gym did you have in mind? So I just pulled one up on Amazon and was like, we were thinking something like this. And they're like, okay, it's ordered. It'll be there in two weeks. What? Yeah, we don't want you to know who it was. The families want to remain, you know, unknown, but a bunch of us pitched in and we want to bless you with this. Another time, it was the first, it was this time of year, actually, first week of December, and um, we get this envelope in the mail 
And there's a card that says, we just appreciate everything you're doing for those kiddos in your home and everything you do for our church. Here's a little something to help your Christmas be that much better or something like that. I don't remember it exactly, but there were five $100 bills in it. And those gifts were constant and all of our needs were met and then some. And then when my wife had that surgery and I saw that her income was gone, I decided to start a part-time business. In other words, I started to try to be in control and supplement and replace everything that she was making so we could continue to live as comfortably as we were. And as soon as I started this business and grew it, and it grew very fast, the gifts stopped completely. And I'm kind of looking around like, is this business like freaking people out? What's happening? No, in hindsight, as hindsight is 2020, what happened was I was taking control away from God and I burned myself out doing it. And as soon as I surrendered that business and just kind of let it die, God started giving to us pretty miraculously again. Um, and so that's just a, a personal story. It's kind of proof to you, evidence to you, that as you choose to be all in here and you give the first of what you make to the kingdom of God and you help this vision that God has call, called us to, you own your part of that and you give uncomfortably, God will take care of you. He does. There's a promise at the end of this last thing I'll say and then we'll respond in worship. There's a promise at the end of Matthew 6. I love this. He's talking about how he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he says, how much more do I care for you, right? So here's the promise and it's a conditional one. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. All this will be given to you. What, what Jesus is saying is that if you make it all about the kingdom of God, then I will meet every need that you have. Now, if we take that promise seriously, I can tell you with great confidence if you give sacrificially and you make it all about the kingdom, God will meet every need that you have. You will not go without. The spiritual struggle here is not whether or not God will keep his promise. The spiritual struggle is whether or not we trust God to let control still be in his hands. So in this in all-in journey, let's embrace the fact that this is a fork in the road for our church. Let's surrender our comfort and watch what God does and watch what we get to be a part of. Is that well-received? Do you hear my heart in that? Awesome. So we're going to sing this song now about grace. We sang it last Christmas Eve, um, and uh, I would just encourage you to listen and to worship and begin that process of surrendering your comfort even now.
God, would you be present with us this week? Would you meet us? Um, yeah, in the spaces that we do need to learn to trust you, would you be clear with us, Holy Spirit, um, with what that looks like? And would you help us to choose to trust you and to step into that, even when it feels scary and overwhelming? Yeah, we're excited to see what you do here. We love you, Lord. Amen.